All right, let's get started. Thank you that you're here and that you have a purpose. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're here and that you have a purpose to accomplish tonight. That uh, you don't take us on uh, just cyclical journeys where we just go around, 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 God, but you're taking us on a journey that has an end and a destination. And I pray that tonight will be uh, strides made in that journey, God, corporately, individually. Uh, you have a purpose to accomplish, and we ask that you do that in us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to continue this pneumaticus series, and we talked about divine healing last week. We're going to talk about inner healing this week, and I'm just going to give you a, a warning up front. This is going to be a pruning night. Uh, this is going to uh, be challenging night in the best way possible, uh, so buckle up. <laughs> it's going to be heavy. It's going to be real. I'm going to talk about vulnerability, uh, which I believe is the fruit of wholeheartedness. So uh, Jesus came, and his mission statement, his first sermon, he says, you know, Spirit of the Lord's upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel and bind up the brokenhearted. Right? So he came to heal our broken hearts. Right? This is beautiful, and this is one of the core uh, you know, tenets of why Jesus came. Here's my mission. I want to heal your heart. So I'm going to talk about what does that mean? What is the journey of letting Jesus heal your heart? Because this is a journey that will be our whole lives. But there are significant strides that we can take along the way. And there's also opportunity to get stuck along the way. And I want to thoroughly deconstruct the myth tonight that time heals all wounds. Who's heard that? Who's said that? Who's believed that? Yes, time does not heal anything. Time gives us an opportunity to create walls that separate us from our pain uh, so that we do not feel it any longer. It does not heal it. Jesus is the healer, and the only source of healing, true healing in this life, is the love of Jesus. And so if we're to receive healing, uh, we have to understand uh, how this process works and what the journey of inner healing, because this is different from, you're not praying for someone's arm, you're not praying for someone's eyes in a, in a momentary thing. This is a process that you walk with Jesus. And so I'm going to start uh, kind of addressing this time heals all wounds and kind of get into what I'll call the pain cycle for tonight. I'm going to talk about a four-part cycle of how humanity copes with pain and the results of that. This is simplified, so this is not, you know, this isn't law. Uh, you could probably add and read into it, but I think you'll agree uh, with the basic tenets of what I present to you here. Uh, the first part of the pain cycle is that there is trauma experienced in lives, right? And there's two types of trauma. The first type of trauma I'll call type 1 trauma, which is uh, things withheld from you. So there are things you need that you didn't get. That is a traumatic experience. This is actually a dangerous form of trauma because a lot of people that have type 1 trauma have no idea that they have it, right? Because you think it's normal. You didn't know you needed it but you did. Uh, the biggest thing I see on a consistent basis would be the lack of uh, a father's affection. Uh, there's an, like an emotional connection to a fatherly figure. There are so many men in this nation, uh, people I talk to all the time that have told me, 
And, uh, and that was my own, probably my deepest trauma was a lack of emotional affection. Did not know that that was traumatic, but it was extremely traumatic to a soul. We were created for intimate affection from both a female and a male, and both of them give a different aspect. Fathers will create identity, significance, worth. Mothers will help you understand your comfort uh, and nurture and think things of this nature. We need both. So there's type 1 trauma, things that are withheld from you that you needed. Uh, type 2 trauma is what we traditionally think of when we think of the word trauma, which would be things incurred to. You were abused, you were neglected, things, you know, someone said this to you, you were whatever, trauma that actually happens to you. So we experience trauma. That's the first part of the pain cycle. You experience pain. Uh, Then the second part of this pain cycle is that uh, you begin to employ defense mechanisms or survival mechanisms. All right, so defense mechanisms are things, uh, emotionally speaking, that we employ, that we use, that will separate us from the pain that we're experiencing. I was just reading uh, this morning, uh, Brennan Manning, if any of you have heard of him, he has a book called Abba's Child. He talked that he had a traumatic experience with his mother when he was eight years old, and it caused him to shut down his memory. He lost his memory for nine years, doesn't remember anything, and for five decades, his emotions were completely shut down, and he could not feel anything. Uh, these are That's an example, extreme example of defense mechanisms, but we have the ability to divorce our head from our minds, and we employ these things things that will separate us from the pain because we can't feel it. We can't, it's too much sometimes, especially when we're young. You don't know how to cope with things like that. So we use these defense mechanisms to try to create a sense of safety, security, comfort in the midst of a very vulnerable, scary, painful, whatever event, right? And this ranges from very extreme to very minor, but pain is pain. Trauma is trauma. It creates a wound. Uh, What I want to just note about defense mechanisms is that they are fundamentally rooted in pride. They are about self-protection. So it's about preserving yourself. It's selfish. So this is a a prideful thing. They are necessary at times and seasons, uh, just in the the brokenness of life as we sort our way through. But they are never meant to be uh, permanent, and uh, they're they're actually um, uh, rooted in pride. The third step, so you have trauma, you, def- you employ defense mechanisms. Third is uh, there comes a point in time when the trauma that you're experiencing stops, right? Whatever the painful dynamic is, that resides. It goes away. You, you're like emotionally, you know, time goes. This is where we get time heals all wounds. Kind of the pain goes away, and I stop experiencing this pain, right? But what takes place is that the defense mechanisms that you employed in this season, they don't shut off. So now you're not running, because these defense mechanisms help distance. You want to run from the pain. Now you're not running from the pain. You're running from fear of the pain. So fear takes a stronghold in your life. Okay? So what takes place for you, they've kept you. These defense mechanisms that you've been using, and they're working for you, they've kept you very safe. But what they also do is they isolate you from other people. Because they keep you safe. It's like if you had a picture of a castle. You pulled up the drawbridge. You locked the iron gate. You slammed the door behind it. Nobody's coming in. Nobody's going to come and hurt my heart again. right? So it's kept you safe, but it isolates you. And in isolation, there are fundamental needs that you were created for that don't get met. 
Intimacy. We're made for meaningful, deep connection with God and with human beings. So in this emptiness and loneliness that incurs because of these defense mechanisms, you're left to try to meet your needs. And human beings will get their needs met one way or another. And the only way you can do it when you have a guarded heart with all these uh, self-protection mechanisms on is you have to self-medicate. Some people turn to the bad things to self-medicate, drugs, alcohol, sex. We know that. Some people, a lot of people in the church turn to the good things, work, uh, ministry, Christian service, doing, doing, doing. But we're doing it to keep us satisfied. We're, we're trying to fill some type of need because we have a deep, empty longing inside because we've Made the castle shut. Nobody is able to really get in to where the intimate place of my emotions and my heart are. All right? So uh, then you start self-medicating. You have fear. You have this pride. you self-protecting pride. Then you add shame, especially if you start dealing with, you know, the bad things. Drugs, addiction, yada, yada, and things can pile, pile, pile. But that moves us to the fourth step of the pain cycle, which is the trauma that you've now experienced. You are now passing to the next generation. What walks in you will run in the next generation. Hurting people hurt people. And if you have pain, trauma, right, all of this, you will reproduce that in the environment that you're in. All right? Uh, I hear people sometimes, they'll share things, you know, to me like, you know, I'm the fourth, I'm the fourth person in my family, you know, fourth generation of this addiction, fourth, fifth generation of divorce. And they say it as if it's just we have really bad luck in our family. It's not bad luck. That's generational brokenness that continues the same cycle, repeats and repeats and repeats. Uh, I didn't come to preach a message of hopelessness tonight. There's hope. But I wanted to understand what we're talking about. What is the landscape here? Right? Isaiah 61, this is what Jesus quotes in his first sermon. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord's anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, to people stuck in this bondage, this cycle. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of spirit of fainting or depression. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Right? I came to liberate people from this generational cycle of brokenness and pain. That's what he's saying. But it doesn't stop there. He doesn't just heal individuals. Then they, those that were broken and afflicted that found the healing of heaven, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. God's plan is to come and heal you, to set you free from this cycle so that when he liberates you, he can use you to be an instrument that brings liberty to the world, that brings healing to the world, that goes and destroys generational strongholds, right? He doesn't just want to heal you. He wants to heal your family. He wants to heal your city. He wants to heal your environment. He has sent you to be a messenger of his healing love. Amen? Amen. But to do this, we need to understand what is the journey what does this practically look like and this is a journey it is not a it is a process to the extreme this is not a moment 
This is not a prayer encounter. This is a journey that human beings have to walk with in God. And so I'm going to try to kind of show the journey and bring understanding to the process here and hopefully bring awareness to things that you may not be aware of. So Psalm 139 says, You formed my inward parts. Right, so God knows our inward parts. This inward parts is speaking to the inner being of us, which we are spirit, soul, inner parts, and a body, outer part, right? So we have this tripartite of us, which is trying to, kind of hard to understand, right? But we are uh, bodies. We have physical bodies. Uh, I don't need to define that for you, hopefully, unless we have some real spiritual people in the room. This is your body. It's skin, right? Uh, we have souls, which are kind of the intermediary, intermediary between the body and the spirit. And the soul is where the will and the mind and the emotions, right? You have a will. You can choose things. You can desire things, right? You have emotions. You have feelings. You have a mind. You have a thought life, your soul. And then you have a spirit, which is the inner chamber of your heart and what is renewed at salvation. God gives you, he creates in you a new heart. He, he resurrects this spirit man, and it is the place that God himself comes and lives and abides. The spirit is where God comes and communes. So I just want to make this very clear. Healing begins when you invite Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior, and he comes and he creates in you a new heart, and he comes and makes it his home. That's where healing begins. And if you haven't made that decision, we love you, and that is a decision Jesus would love for you to make. And that's where healing starts. That is the first step. It's really the, it's crucial. You can't find healing until you invite him in. And when you invite him in, he loves to come and make his home in you. And we'll, uh, you know, tonight at the end, if you haven't made this decision, we'll have a prayer team, and they'd love to pray with you and talk to you about what this looks like. So it's a beautiful thing. But I want to stress that uh, salvation, the conversion experience, that is where healing begins. Begins. Not ends. Begins. Right? We uh, have to press on into fullness. We have to grow up into salvation. And this is the dynamic at play in Christians for the rest of their lives once they've invited Jesus within Jesus lives in the spirit, right? He has made his home in the inner chamber of our heart. And now we have a soul that has experienced, we have these defense mechanisms from the wounds and the traumas we've experienced, right? So we have brokenness. We've, we have defense mechanisms. We have, you know, a varying degree depending on our story. We have fractures, brokenness in our soul, right? And what this manifests as is thoughts, emotions, desires that are contrary to God's. Right? It's like Paul, he's talking about, you know, I don't do the things I want to do, but the things I do, I don't do. Right? There's this war within, right? And then you have a body. So you have this, this tension right here where Jesus Christ is living inside of you, but then you also have this mix of emotions, passions, things that are not of God. Are you following me? Right? It's called the self. So in this... Uh, we, uh, we, have to, we have to recognize that because of the independence at play, there's a blockage, okay? So there's this blockage within. So I'm trying to make uh, understanding there. So how do you know if this is you? How do you know if there is a tension going on inside of you? I'm going to just talk about two signs that kind of go together that in my own life have helped me recognize this. Uh, the first thing is that you will struggle connecting to God in prayer, 
you will have a hard time sitting with yourself silently. That will be an uncomfortable experience. And it is because you'll, it's like I can't connect to Jesus in here because I've got all these defense mechanisms on. Right? Because the reality of self-protecting pride, the reality of defense mechanisms is they separate you from pain. But you know who else they separate you from? Everyone else, including Jesus. Right? So, yes, it's made me safe, but it's severed. I, I, I can't get into where he is. Right? So prayer can be extremely difficult. It can feel uh, challenging. It can feel very dry. It can feel like, are you even here? Is this even worth it? Like 15 minutes and I'm suffering through this. I, I, there's a block. I'm experiencing a block. I can't seem to get through anywhere. And uh, this applies introverts and extroverts alike. I've seen extroverts walk through a very thorough journey of healing and learn how to sit with themselves. Uh, it just, it's not about your personality type. We have a responsibility to have time with Jesus and to be able to sit and, uh, and be with him. Uh, another, another sign is that you will be externally focused. And what I mean by that is it will, your whole life will be driven outside rather than inside. And this is a fatal error because where does Jesus live? He lives in your heart. And so if I am having to go external to create fulfillment, peace, and joy, if those things are carrots on a stick that I'm constantly trying to dangle in front of me, that I'm constantly looking for, uh, you, you're, you're trying to solve something that you're not going to find out there. Because the source of peace is the prince of peace. And where does he live? In your hearts, right? The, in his presence... Is fullness of joy. Where is his presence? It says, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Where is he? Why are we so busy going out, 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 out to find fulfillment? When he lives in the inner chamber of our hearts. Right? So we get externally focused. And this is where I'm going to do ministry. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to do, 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 do. Be a human doing. Exhaust my life doing. And I can't stop doing because when I stop and slow down, I start experiencing pain. And I don't want to feel that. So I'm going to keep myself busy trying to get fulfillment that never comes. It's a carrot on a stick. It's an enticement. To try to get us going after these things, to keep us distracted so that we will not come in to the resurrected king of glory that lives in your heart. 18 inches. It's the longest journey we'll ever make. Mending the divorce between our head and our hearts. It's the deepest wound that will ever need to be healed. But so many Christians live so many years in this place, externally driven externally driven it's because self-protection doesn't just separate us from pain it separates us from Jesus it's pride it's independence that he has to oppose and resist so breakthrough where does breakthrough come turn your Bibles to Psalm 42 this is a psalm uh, and it's of David and we're going to see uh, David is aware of this internal uh, dynamic. The reality is that we have a world within us. 
We live in an external world, but there is a, a garden or a place within where we go to dwell with God. And we all have this, and it's a, it's a place that I think God is desiring more of his people to explore. Uh, where we can get so busy in the externalities of life, we fail to recognize that the treasure is within. St. Augustine, at the end of his life, said his biggest regret was that he spent so much time uh, seeking God outside and failing to recognize it was Christ within. This is David processing. He's trying to make sense of something. And in verse 5 of Psalm 42, he says this, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. And it goes on later in the psalm, and in the Psalm 43 it falls. Why are you in despair, my soul? What is going on? He's trying to process his emotions. I'm feeling despair. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling hopeless. I'm feeling these feelings I don't want to feel. Why am I feeling this, God? He's processing his emotions. One of the greatest pieces of wisdom I ever learned was this. Emotions are messages. We love to say, oh, good emotions I want, bad emotions I don't want. That is a huge mistake. Emotions are messages. And the wise in heart will spend enough time, the time necessary and required, to decipher the message, to figure out what those emotions are trying to speak. Right? Our soul is not just some random thing. It is a beautiful creation that God gave us. He gifted us this ability to feel, to think, to decide. It's, it's like precious. And so when you begin to feel things that you don't like, you need to start asking, why am I feeling this, God? Why are you in despair? Why am I feeling depressed? Why am I feeling hopeless? Why am I feeling pain? And to begin to process and let God draw you in instead of go out. Because a lot of times when we start feeling pain, this is what we do. We either try to shove it somehow and get that defense mechanism kicked right back in, or we will try to deflect it. That's their fault. I'm offended because of that. I just, you know, in uh, this situation, I got triggered, and I couldn't believe they did that to me. We love to deflect it away from us so that we can self-preserve this safety that we have, even though in that safety we are suffocating from a lack of intimacy. Right? We can't stay in this place. Jesus didn't give his life so that we could stay in this place. Brennan Manning in Abba's Child, he talks about that when he got breakthrough, when God finally reattached this sever between his head and his heart, is when he decided to spend 20 days alone in the wilderness in a remote cabin in the Rocky Mountains. And he said he would spend the first two hours with a clinical psychiatrist, then the rest of the day he was in a cabin alone with himself. And he said after 10 days of processing, why? What is this? Why have I done these things? Why do I feel this way? Why? 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 He had a revelation and he got wrecked by the love of God. And it changed his life. But he had to spend the time asking the questions. He had to spend the time in silence to actually sit with it. And instead of being so busy, he'd been in ministry for 18 years at that point, preaching on the unconditional radical love of God. And he said, on that day, in the cabin's remote wilderness, the Rocky Mountains, all of that finally became true in my heart. We spend too much time up here, up here, all about, I know everything about God, but we don't know anything in here. 
for me, this is the, the process looked like. I want to take you on my process of how I begin to understand the language of my soul. And this is emotional intelligence is what I'm talking about. Uh, so the first time I became aware of this dynamic was I was 19 years old. I was a freshman in college, and I had a crush on a girl. And uh, I was with one of my good buddies who I think knew I had a crush on the girl. So he texted her and said, hey, you should text Jordan and say that you really like me, and then we'll mess with him. Bad idea, right? Don't do this. But uh, so she's texting me, hey, I really have feelings for him, but don't tell him what you think. And then he's like, dude, who's texting you? Like, oh, yeah, it's so-and-so. What's she saying? Oh, nothing. She's like, don't tell him. I'm like, I'm like, bummed myself. I'm like, dang, I thought she liked me. And then on top of it, I'm like, well, do I tell him? Right? So I'm just like in this weird place. They messed with me for like four or five hours. And uh, after like the end of it, they're like, dude, we got you. And they like pull the rug out and realize that, you know, they made me look like a fool. And I literally just anger just, just came out of me. Just boom. And I was just livid. To the point, like, I had to, like, I didn't let it all out there, but I felt so hot and wanted to kill someone. That's what it felt like. I was like, whoa. So I, like, leave. I'm like, I need to pray because I don't know what I'm feeling right now. And I go back, and I'm praying, like, okay, what the heck was this anger? And all of a sudden, I begin to have flashback memories of a few years prior of similar situations where I was feeling that type of shame and foolishness. And I was like, whoa, I'm feeling right now what I should have felt there, but I put a defense mechanism on there, so I never felt it. And I was like, what the heck's happening to me right now? First time I recognized that my present and my past weren't disconnected. I thought I had just gotten through those things, and they were over. And I realized in that moment, wait, this is still alive in me. This pain is still alive in me, right? Made this connection. Uh, a huge indicator that I tell people often is that if you have an emotional response, if you have a trigger response that is hyperbolous of what the actual situation dictates, uh, you know that God's drawing you in. He's speaking. That's an important message that you need to spend time finding the root to that answer. Whoa, what is this emotion? Because this is not just about what's happening now. This is about something that's happened before. All right, so that was kind of my first starting to put the dots together. Within about six months, I had another situation, and one of my good friends, uh, about two in the morning, I started getting texts from him, and he was uh, obviously inebriated, couldn't drive, and needed me to come pick him and a couple of other people up. And, you know, I'm tired, whatever. I get in the car, you know, and frustrated. Like, why would you do this? You're a man of God. And driving there, but I go from, like, kind of, like, tiffed to, like, angry to like to the point that I'm almost like in a hot like I'm like crying like these hot angry tears on the way like how dare you I can't believe you do and I'm just like livid mad and I pick him up just biting my tongue I just want to rip into him take him home drop him off and it's probably 3 3 30 in the morning and I'm just like so angry I could explode and I learned okay message 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 so it's like okay so I go to the prayer chapel, I just get on my knees like, what's going on? I'm just, God, I can't believe he would do this. I'm so mad at him. I wanted to blame. I wanted to put it out. I'm so mad. I still can't believe that. Eventually the anger went and then the pain started coming. And then when the pain started coming, I was like, oh, whoa, I don't know where this is taking me. And then all of a sudden the memory started flooding, started taking me back to very painful nights where I saw alcohol do horrible things. 
all starts flooding. And as I'm sitting there, all of a sudden in the pain, I'm gonna start just, it was like I had a revelation and all, it was like a thousand pounds was on my body. And as I could feel this thick iron armor that I'd put on and the Lord speaks to me and he said, Jordan, you've decided to be your own protector that night and you put this heavy armor on. He's like, and you've been walking with it ever since. And I was just like, oh, it's so heavy, so heavy, Lord. And he asked me this question. He said, are you ready to take your armor off? And I laid there for a long time saying, I don't know. Because I don't know what's going to happen when I take this off. I don't know what I'm going to feel. I don't know where this is going to take me. I don't know where I'm going to have to go. But I knew it was the Lord because I'd started learning. He's speaking. I needed to know. I needed to figure out what is this message? What is this emotion saying? So I said, okay. I said, I'm ready, Lord. What I didn't know at the time was I, was I was confessing and recognizing that I had pride in my life. Self-protection. I was my protector. Our, we can't protect ourselves. We don't even have power over our lungs. We can't, we can't control people. We, can't, we can spend our whole lives trying to protect ourselves, and we will fail every single time. And we'll be in anxiety the whole time trying to do it. We have one protector. His name's Jesus. He sent us out as lambs amongst wolves because he's the lion of Judah and he's right beside us. And wolves don't mess with him. There's vulnerability in every level of this life. We live on a planet that is floating around a cosmic explosion. When's it going to stop? It's a nuclear explosion. That's what makes us alive. We are so vulnerable. We can't even get to the next star. There's 100 billion in this galaxy. And I think conservatively, there's 100 billion galaxies in the universe. How vulnerable are we? We have a thin layer of atmosphere that keeps us alive. How does it even stay there? I don't know. And yet we think we can be our own protector. We think that we can make ourselves safe. It's pride. I was confessing my pride. And pride is blinding. So when I said yes, I recognized the self-protections in my life. All of a sudden, I had eyes to see, wow. I see it playing out in my life. And the Lord began to lead me very intimately into places. You need to do this. You need to step into vulnerability, which I did not want to do because it scared me to death. Because if I step into vulnerability, I can't protect myself from experiencing what I felt. I'm exposed. What if it happens again? All the things come flooding. But I said, okay, I want this armor off because I'm tired of living with this empty void inside tired of living with this divorce between my head and my heart and I began to walk out a process with Jesus and I've had extreme moments where of, of healing of connection to his heart but I'm still on this process as this church talking as a staff even in these days the last three months been very stretching for me as this church has grown and things have happened it triggered things in me uh, triggered fears that I didn't know was then. It triggered areas of control I didn't know was there. Very uncomfortable. I started finding that I had resistance in the prayer closet, and I didn't know how to get. And the Lord finally just said, "Stop." He said, "Stop doing ministry." He said, "You need to ask some questions." I said, "Okay." Some of those questions led me to. I mean, I was with Rick, my mentor, who you guys met a few weeks ago, you know, earlier a few months ago. I mean, there was a day I wept uncontrollably in Panera Bread in Nampa. Why? Because he's taken me deeper into his heart, deeper 
into healing. Deeper places where I needed to take the armor off. This is an ongoing process, but it is beautiful. And it heals us and it makes us whole. This is some things I've learned about the healing journey. Uh, inner healing will never take place until you accept that you're broken. Self-protection says, put on a facade. Make yourself look so strong. Make it look like you have it all together. It's broken and contrite. That's who the Lord's looking for. Broken and contrite spirit. That word contrite is uh, equatable to a dry leaf that you squeeze, and it's so dry it just turns to powder. God takes weak vessels to demonstrate his glory, not put together people. He chooses fishermen to deny him. He chooses zealots, tax collectors, women that were prostitutes. He uses broken people to display his glory. Got to accept that you're broken and accept that that's okay because you're loved. But when we do that, we're, we don't like to say we're broken because we don't like to admit that we're prideful. And so it's much easier to stuff it down or deflect it away. Stay in my uh, hamster wheel of doing my thing because I don't want to go in. I don't want to stop. I don't want to slow down. But I'm here tonight to preach what I believe is his heart saying, please, please slow down. Please come in. Please let me draw you into my presence, into the sanctuary that I've established in your heart. Please. Jesus, the force of his love is the most intense pull. It's like a gravity that will pull our souls to him. It's like if I picked up a rock, it's of the earth. And if I let go of that gravity, it will pull it back to where it came from. Jesus has that type of effect upon our soul. But self-protection gets woven into our soul and this brokenness. And so why it's so uncomfortable is that he's drawing us, but he only attracts our soul. He doesn't attract the self-protection. He doesn't attract the pride. So the tension, the difficulty, it's that there's a purifying taking place as we're yielding to him, as we're accepting, as we're letting him come and lead us into vulnerability to turn off these defense mechanisms that are keeping us safe, but they're causing us to suffocate from a lack of connection. And this is important. Turn to Deuteronomy 28. This has huge consequences on our lives, on our destinies, on what God's called us to do. This is Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 12. I'm going to read verse 12, 13, 14, and verse. What I'm desiring to do through you, if you when the Lord's speaking to Israel, he's saying, this is what I'm desiring to do through you. If you walk with me, if you'll obey me, if you live in humility, He's saying, and this is what will happen if you live in idolatry, pride, self-protection. It's your own God. 
This is verse 12. It says, The Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you will only be above, and you will not be underneath. If you just listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today, to observe them carefully. All right, so there's blessing. There's favor. Let's switch to verse 23. The heaven which is over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you iron. That's the curse of pride, idolatry. Bronze, iron, sounds like armor. And I know that some of you in here have said, I, I, I know God's called me. I know God's anointed me. I know he's given me these promises. I know I have a destiny. I know I have a purpose to fulfill. But it just seems like there's, it just doesn't, it seems like they're just sitting in action. It just doesn't seem like the rain's falling and causing these promises. to. It seems like they're just sitting in the ground. That's pride. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He can't bless you when you're operating in self-protection. He can't get to your heart. You've shut off access. He gives grace to the humble. His grace is like water. It flows. It causes things to grow. It releases resurrection life, but he only can give it to the humble. And self-protection, these defense mechanisms, they sever us. They sever us from his grace. They, they keep us protected. Uh, bronze dome, iron underneath. I'm safe because nothing can get to me. No pain, no, not, none of it, but no grace, no blessing, no favor. Can't get to you. And it breaks the heart of God. So we can't live like this. We've got to go after. We've got to be willing to take our armor off. We've got to be willing to ask the questions. We've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. Even if it means I've got to go 20 days up into the mountains and just sit with you. I've got to do whatever it takes for you to heal my heart, God. To say, yes, take this off. Liberate me from this cycle of brokenness because I want to pave a legacy of health and healing that will run in the generation that follows me, that will run in my children, that will run in my legacy. Amen? I want to end just talking about the treasure, the, 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 the reward, the fruit that comes from this because what we're after is a whole heart. I used to think wholeheartedness was you'd enter to this place where it's like, I'm put together, and I have no pain, and I have no fear, and I'm perfect. Like, God's just healed me. Like, that's, what I, that's what I conceived in my mind. And the Lord's disillusioned that from me because I don't think that that is the reality of what takes place in this life. Life is real. Life is hard. It's messy. There's so much pain. There's so much suffering. There's so much brokenness. What I believe a whole heart is, is that you come to understand how deeply loved you are in the midst of it all, in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of, of all the stories, of all the things that make up you. You are radically loved by God. Like, he absolutely adores you. He can't, he can't resist giving himself to you. 
And when you recognize you are that loved, when you recognize that you in the deep place of who you are are connected to Jesus Christ, the hope and desire of the nations, the most beautiful person that has ever lived and ever will live, the one in whom all things were created and by whom all things were created and for whom all things were created, the resurrected perfect king of glory lives inside of you. The natural response is that you will be marked by a radical vulnerability, which is the act of giving yourself and therefore Christ in you to the people around you. A whole heart possesses the ability that I can give of myself to you in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the pain of life. I will be vulnerable. I can give myself to you because when I possess that ability, I create an opportunity through risk. It's risky, but intimacy can be created. And that's what we're longing for. We're all pilgrims on a journey walking this road together. And it's a long journey. And it's a hard journey. And it is not easy sometimes. But if we can do it together, we can make it. I can't do it alone. But I can do it if I have connection, if I'm with you, if you know me and I know you. And it says we see dimly now in a mirror. It's fuzzy. But one day we will see him face to face and we'll be fully known and we will know fully. That's heaven. And what is the Lord's prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We have access to that type of communion now and we are gifts to one another. We often mistake vulnerability for uh, woundedness. Uh, woundedness is when you will share your pain and your deep things, but you're bleeding on people. You're, you're, you're just, and it's because you need something in return. That's not vulnerability. That's selfishness. That's just woundedness. And we all, we all have times where we're wounded. I've done it many times. But that's not vulnerability. Vulnerability is, I am a treasure. I am loved. Jesus Christ lives inside of me. I'm going to give of myself to you, whether you accept me or reject me, I'm going to give of myself to this world. And that was Jesus. He knew he was going to be rejected. He couldn't help himself. Just gave, gave everything. And that's what we're called to follow. That's who we're called to follow. I'm going to give of myself because I'm loved no matter what the response is. I'm loved by my Father, and I'm not alone. That's what we're after. That's what the best thing we can offer to the world is yourself. And it comes when you embrace the journey that says, I'm going to take the armor off. I'm going to sit. I'm going to ask the questions. I'm going to decipher the messages of my soul, and I'm going to let the Lord lead me on a very thorough journey of binding together my broken heart so that I can dwell and live my life deeply connected to Jesus Christ who is within me and there's nothing hindering him from releasing his life through me. Amen? Amen. So this is how we're going to close tonight. Uh, we Early it was a short service and Jordan's going to come up and just play and... Uh,
we're just going to create this a space for you to respond as the Holy Spirit's leading you. Uh, I think some of you are stirred, and I just want you to encourage you to do what you need to do. Some of you, you're saying, yeah, I have a lot of self-protection. Maybe for the first time in your life, you're like, yeah, it's there. And uh, I just respond to the Lord. Tell him I'm ready to take the armor off. If you need to come up and kneel, people were kneeling last service. If you need to kneel at your seat, uh, the prayer team will be up if you want to pray. If you want to talk to someone, just if you want to go home and go process, go home. go pro- Just do whatever you need to do and make this a space to respond to God in this time. It's not about responding to the message that I'm preaching. It's about responding to the message he's speaking through these words to you so we can be a whole people. So I'm going to pray and turn the lights down a little bit, and uh, then the space is yours. Lord, I thank you that you came to set us free. We thank you for your healing love. I pray for courage tonight, God, to take our armor off and to say yes to a long journey of walking with you. Of, of embracing vulnerability, of cultivating it in our lives so that we can be the most generous people on earth. God, generous with our very heart that we can offer Christ to everyone we meet because we're not afraid anymore, because we know we're loved. I thank you for the probably a thousand ways you're stirring right now in this room and the different things you're speaking and what you're pulling on and what you're what you're cultivating what you're awakening God I thank you for the discomfort that many are feeling right now in this room and I ask God that you will just stir our hearts God that you will lead us that you will speak into this God and that you will begin a good work tonight Lord and that as we leave you'll continue it and further it and that you will tonight trigger Lord a uh, uh, a, a, a very deep and profound release of your grace in the heart of this church, God. We want to be whole people that you can use to heal our city. So we bless you tonight, Jesus, and we thank you for who you are and for your great love.